Well, I'm so happy you're here. Some of you, maybe it's the first time you've been to church in a while. Thanks for being courageous enough to come. We hope that you find this is a safe environment where you can explore and ask questions. Uh, Anybody love Yaz's beard on headlines? Is that one of the world's finest beards? This guy, he's one of my dear friends. In fact, we spent most of the week with him. I took my boys and um, he is, I mean, what an interesting story. Like it has to be God. So he is originally from Mexico, moved to the United States about 20 years ago, was adopted by an indigenous tribe, an Aztec tribe uh, near the border with Guatemala, um, learned to you know, really associate with indigenous people. He's moved to America. He's one of the missionaries that we support to reach our native brothers and sisters. He just has an ability to relate to people. So he's traveling all throughout the South, the uh, Southeast uh, tribes in, in uh, Louisiana and Alabama, um, our, our, our crow neighbors. And what God is doing through him is beautiful. I love the increased Christmas supports him and uh, the foster care camp that he's doing. It's just beautiful. So anyway, last week we started a new series, Songs of Christmas. And as we scan the New Testament, the, the, the books that are written after the arrival of Jesus, every time that somebody encounters what God is doing through Christmas, through Jesus coming to planet Earth, we read that in four different instances, they break into song. So last week, we looked at a guy named Zachariah. Zachariah and his wife, Elizabeth. And they are elderly, and here's what they thought. They just thought, it's too late. It is too late for us. We'd always pray that God would give us a child. And an angel appears to Zachariah and says, you're going to have a child. And he says, no, I'm not. It's too late. I'm past that. My wife is past that. And one of the beautiful lessons about that story is it is never too late. It's never too late. It's ne- you're never too young. You're never too far gone. You've never made too many mistakes. With God, there's always an opportunity. And so Zechariah loses his ability to speak and to hear because of his lack of belief. But when he writes down, after his boy is born, his name is John, he sings out this beautiful song. Now, one chapter later in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, that's where we'll be today, is another song. And it's sung by another older man, and this man's name is Simeon. Now, even some of us who maybe read the Bible, we think, Simeon, I kind of remember that. Well, he's only mentioned it in this one spot in the Bible. It's very profound. And here's what Simeon does. He has been waiting and waiting and waiting. In fact, if you talk to Simeon, you said, hey, Mr. Simeon, what will you be doing today? And he'd say this, I'm going to go to the temple in Jerusalem, and I'm going to wait. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for an event that's going to change the world. What are you going to do tomorrow? I'm going to go wait. How about the day after that? I'm going to wait. Now, most of us, well, I think maybe all of us, don't like to wait. Anybody just love waiting? Tell me, when you've gone to the store, does anybody go like, that's the longest line. That's the one I want. Right? (laughs) Nobody does that. We're all like, okay, shortest. You're looking at people's carts. You're like... This one, definitely the fastest one. In fact, my wife and I are kind of competitive. Sometimes we disagree. We're like, see, if we would have gone in my line, you would have been right after that person. Nobody likes to wait. We live in a world where things are so fast, you know, high-speed internet, fast food. Like, if you're not through the drive-thru in six minutes, you're like, these people, come on. How long does it take to make a burrito, right? right? Wait a minute, you just got fed in 10 minutes. Uh, 
my son, we were looking, uh, we needed to go out to, he had a basketball tournament yesterday and it was out of town. I knew I'd been there, but I couldn't remember how to get there. So I put it in my GPS, how to get to such and such. And it gave me three options. It said, you could take this route and it's 47 minutes, this route 32, this route 27. Which one did I pick? I looked at him, I said, son, let's go see Montana. Let's take the one that's 47 minutes. No, no. Like you're looking for the fastest route, right? No, I want to get there now. So waiting is just so awkward. But here's what Simeon does. He waits and he waits and he waits. And here's what he's waiting for. Someone that the Hebrews called the Messiah. The Messiah, which is a Hebrew word that is translated the anointed one or the promised one. Anointed one, promised one. Messiah. And here's what the Hebrews were dealing with. In Genesis chapter 3, we read about this cataclysmic event that happened where human beings and God were separated. We were meant to know him and to walk with him, to be in harmony with God, but that's been separated through human rebellion. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to a man named Abram, who will later be called Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. And he says, Abraham, my heart is to heal what's broken on this planet, to bring God and human beings back together. And so I'm going to do something through you and through your ancestors. And here's what I promise. I promise to send someone, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, who will fix what no religion can fix, what no philosophy, what no amount of good works can fix. And so the Hebrew people, for centuries, I mean, we're talking thousands of years, would pray to God every day. They say, God, send us the Messiah. Send us the one who will fix what's broken. And in the meantime, what, what do they do to try to figure out how to live and how to deal with guilt and shame? God gives them this whole sacrificial system. It's a complex religious system you can read about in the Old Testament. And they do their best to follow, but they're still longing and waiting. Now, most of them are longing and waiting for a Messiah that would come and free them from political oppression and military oppression. So while Simeon is alive, this is the, the beginning of the first century, B.C. to A.D., it's Rome. Rome's taken over the known world and and they're waiting for a Messiah. And there's always these political and military aspirations behind it. But, but it wasn't just Rome. I mean, you could think of the Hebrew people. I mean, from what happened in World War II, recent history, do you just keep going back to Rome, to Greek, to Persia, to Babylon, to Assyria, to Egypt? You just go back. They've always been oppressed. And through all of this oppression, through all of this, they've been longing. Long, God, send that one you promised the Messiah, who can set right what's so wrong, who can heal what we can't fix. This is exactly what Simeon's doing. And somewhere along the line, God said to this man, Simeon, he said, Simeon, we are on the brink. We're on the brink of what you have been praying for, what your ancestors have been praying for. You will actually see this promised one. In fact, Simeon, you won't die until the promised one arrives. 
And so every day, he goes to Jerusalem, to the temple. One day, I hope you can all see this. It's built on a hill. It's now a very conflicted place. But in the first century, there's this beautiful temple that exists. And Simeon would go because where else would the Messiah show up? He's probably not just going to show up, you know, in the market. He, he's going to come to this epicenter, this place where people come to worship day after day. And this is what we read, Luke chapter 2, verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, meaning baby Jesus. He's eight days old. It's time to dedicate him, to give him his name, to circumcise him, to Jerusalem, to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated. The word consecrated means to be set apart. So in reality, what you did with the firstborn male, Leviticus chapter 5, Leviticus chapter 15, is you actually gave your firstborn male child to the Lord. You offered a sacrifice. And then in, in, in a sense, the Lord gave that child back to you. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, this word consolation is a little bit confusing in English because if you ever played in a tournament, there's a consolation bracket. What does a consolation bracket mean? It means you lost. <laughs> Right? So here's the normal bracket for the winners, but there's a consolation bracket below for the losers. So what it means is you actually have a second chance. It's a, it's a comfort. In this context, it means comfort. So there's another opportunity for people who have lost that get to go into the consolation bracket and you can play back through. And so what Simeon is waiting for is that one who will come to comfort oppressed people. Give a second chance to people who are broken. The consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. Now, I remember when our daughter was born. I didn't want anybody to touch her. This is, you know, 20, almost 22 years ago. You know, I like wash your hands. I want you to put some of that, you know, hand sanitizer on your, and put some in your mouth for good measure. Like, I don't want any sickness. But it, can you imagine? Here comes this, this is like wizened old man they don't know. And he just like scoops up this little eight-day-old baby. Took him in his arms and praised God. And this is his song. This is what he sings out loud. Sovereign Lord. As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. It's the only place in the Bible where somebody says, like, kill me. Like, I am done. Like, there's nothing more. This is all I've been waiting for my entire life. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. Now, this is a big statement because the Hebrew people have been waiting for somebody to save the Hebrew people right? The Messiah is going to come through us and he's going to benefit us. But, but Simeon says, oh no, this is for the non-Hebrew people, for the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon 
blessed them, and said to Mary, his mother. And now there's a turn. It's foreboding. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's, uh, this isn't the type of thing you typically speak to a proud mama, right? It's, it, it's dark. It's foreboding. What do we learn from this song? What do we see? Simeon's song has three distinct aspects to it that I'd like to talk about. The first one is this. Simeon sings a song of sacrifice for the world. Simeon sings a song of sacrifice for the world. So Mary and Joseph are in the process of bringing a sacrifice. That's what you did with your child. You said, God, we want this child to start off right with you. Now, typically, the sacrifice was actually a lamb. But there's a provision in the book of Leviticus for very poor people that they could bring a bird, a pigeon, or a dove. And so here come Mary and Joseph. I want you to think for just a moment the situation they're in. Okay, they're probably both teenagers. It's likely that Joseph is somewhere around 17, 18, 19, and Mary is probably a bit younger than that. And they've been engaged, but in Hebrew engagement, you went a full year. The, the, the man was responsible for building a house. You wouldn't be married until the house that was going to be attached to your father's house was complete. That was what that year of engagement looked like. Um, and Mary comes to her fiance and says, I'm pregnant. And he's devastated. He's like, you're what? And she says, oh, yeah, but... It's not what you think. God's the dad. And he's like, what? God's the dad? She goes, yeah, yeah, I'm, a, I'm still a virgin. Um, God's the papa, and he came and talked to me, and like, I don't get it either. And he's like, this girl's nuts. And so Matthew, it says he plans to divorce her quietly because you had to go through this betrothal, this engagement. You actually had to have a divorce to, to separate and the uh, angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, actually, she's not nuts. Like, this really is God's child. Joseph is like, oh, man, this is weird, right? So weird. And so can you imagine what their little town was like? I mean, in that day and age, they would have been frowned upon and they would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're getting married, but, and she's pregnant. And they like, she's like really pregnant. And she says that God is the daddy. And Joseph says, yeah, that's true. Wasn't me. It's God. <laughs> so there's all this scandal. I mean, the fact that Jesus is born into what was a scandalous situation culturally. And now here they have this little boy, eight days old. And they know they've got to make it to Jerusalem. And so they bring him in. I bet people are whispering. There's, there's a couple. There's, there's God's son right there. How many, how many kids had Simeon looked at over the years? I bet he anticipated that 
there'd be some well-to-do couple or maybe some, someone with royal lineage, someone who had position or power, and maybe the Messiah would come from them. But in walks a teenage couple that people are whispering about, and they're poor. They're poor. He can tell by the way they're dressed. He can tell by the fact that they just carry a burden. It's all they have. And he realizes this is the sacrifice for the world. Because in this temple where they're at, think of this for a moment. Think of a place that's so busy because it's the epicenter of religion. It's the epicenter where you find forgiveness. So every morning, every night, sacrifices are made. People are coming, they're praying. The, the courtyards are filled with people praying. This is where God is. He, he's back in the holy of holies. This is where you find him. This is where you deal with your guilt. And so every morning, every night, sacrifices are being made for all the Hebrew people. And they're saying, God, have mercy on us. God, we know we're far from you. God, we know that we make mistakes. And then if you know you've blown it that week, you take a sacrifice. And it could have been grain or an animal. And you say, God, have mercy on me. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And you bring the sacrifice. And that had been happening for centuries. And in this very place, in walks Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And Simeon realizes something is about to change forever. See, the book of Hebrews talks about this sacrificial system. It says, here was the problem is that day after day, century after century, they did the same old sacrifices, but it never actually made a dent in the sin problem. All it did is it helped us deal with our guilt. It helped us deal with our shame. It helped us realize that sin is really a big deal, but it never fixed anything. And so just animal after animal died. And when Simeon looks at this baby, he realizes this is God's greatest gift to humanity. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is the one that's going to fix everything that's wrong with human beings. Now, here's part of the challenge. The, 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 the sacrifice they desired was not the sacrifice that was actually required. They thought, they thought what we need is we need political freedom. We need somebody to overthrow the Romans. But there's a deeper problem. See, our, our deepest problems, honestly, think about it. I know the world's chaotic, but it's not political. There's something behind that. It's the reality of sin and rebellion within human hearts. And it's, it's that we become mean and angry and we hurt one another. What's required is something much more significant. And so what Simeon does is he looks and he says, this is the answer. No longer are we going to have to like, kill animals and develop religions and try more, try be better, and, and a new philosophy, and I'll quit doing that. What we need is someone who could deal with sin once and for all. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Simeon realizes this is the promised one who's going to bring God and humans back together. As a human, he'll live a perfectly obedient, submitted life to his father. And he will die as an innocent sacrifice for humanity. 
so that the sins that had happened before, the sins that happened in the year 2017 are all dealt with completely and finally. So that forgiveness is now possible. As he looks at this baby and this mother and father, he says, I've got to sing about this sacrifice for the world. Now, there's a second part to his song. He sings about a savior for the world. A savior for the world. He actually says this phrase in verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Remember, he's, he's been waiting year after year after year. What's going to happen? Who's coming? And when he sees this baby, eight-day-old baby, he goes, I've actually seen the salvation for the world. And as a Hebrew man, he says, and this child is going to be a light for all human beings, not just for the Hebrew people. This child is going to broker a peace between God and human beings that no religion had ever been able to achieve. He's going to bring hope. This word consolation, consolation for the world, a second chance. He's going to bring peace to people's who hearts are so deeply troubled with anxieties and fear, addictions, temptations. This is the consolation for all humanity. He saw hope for the first time. Hope that life could be different. That there was actually a solution to the sin problem. That maybe people could be resurrected and they could walk with God once again. Paul has an interesting little phrase when he talks about this idea that there was a moment in time when Jesus came. It's from Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. I'd like to read that with you. Paul says, but when the set time had fully come. So he's talking about the arrival of Jesus. You might ask, well, why didn't he come centuries earlier? Why didn't it wait until this moment? He says, when the set time had fully come, there was a plan. God sent his son born of a woman. So here we have God, born of a woman, born under the law, the sacrificial system, the system of trying to appease an angry God. He's born under a woman to redeem those under the law that we might become sons and daughters. We might receive adoption. This is what Simeon sees. He doesn't just see a new military leader, or a new political leader, or a way to get out from the oppression of the Romans. He says, oh, this is what's happening, that God is coming into humanity. There's this beautiful word that's thrown around at Christmas, the, the word Emmanuel. Emmanuel. You've probably seen it on a banner, on a Christmas card. What does it mean? It literally means God with us. God with us. Because here's how it's always been. God is out there beyond us. God is incomprehensible to us. God is waiting for us. But Christmas means, no, no, no. God is now with us. Simeon sees, here he is in the midst of it all. John chapter one says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father filled with grace and truth. He is tabernacled, meaning pitched his tent in our midst. God is now like us. He's experienced what life is like. 
Why does he do it? So that he can save the world, so that we're no longer under a religious oppressive system, but we can be daughters and sons. Restored to what human beings were always meant to experience. A song of salvation. There's an appointed time, a set time. Why did it happen now? Simeon's been waiting. God says, Simeon, you're not even going to die. We're, we're on the precipice. It's about to happen. Interestingly, just a little bit of the history of why this happened when it did. A man named Alexander the Great. Oh, conqueror, vicious man. But he's, he just decides, I need more. And so he leaves Macedonia and he begins to take over the known world. And he says this, Greek culture is superior. So everywhere he goes, he says, you can do whatever you want, but you have to have Greek culture and you have to speak the Greek language. So in a matter of a decade and a half, from India all the way to England, now everybody's speaking one common trade language. It's never happened before. The world was totally divided. You just spoke your little languages, little parts of the world. People couldn't even understand each other if you were 100 miles away from each other. But everybody's speaking Greek. And then in come the Romans after the demise of Alexander the Great. And the Romans say, boy, this is convenient. Everybody already speaks the same language. It's really easy for business, for trade, for communication. They say, what we need now is we need better infrastructure. So the Romans build, get this, 50 thousand miles of roadway. Never happened before. I mean, all, all throughout Europe, North Africa, you can find it. Cobblestone roadways, big enough for two chariots to pass by each other. It's the same, the, the width of the chariot wheel is exactly what we built our trains on, the same width. And so all over 50,000 miles. So now people are connected like they've never been connected. And God says, this is the moment. I'll send my son now because this news is for the world. There's a savior. Everybody speaks the same language. People can move from place to place. And the, the, the message of what Christmas is all about can be announced to the entire globe. It's a song of salvation to the world. It's a song that there's a sacrifice for the world. Lastly, lastly, there's a song of controversy here. A song of controversy. First part of the song makes Joseph and Mary marvel. <laughs> They're just like, what? You know, everybody's been so, so critical of us. Nobody's believed us. And Simeon says, oh no, this, this is it. This is the Messiah right here in this moment. It looks scandalous, but this is God. But then there's a second movement to his song. It's that foreboding, dark, painful element to the song. Simeon's holding this baby. He says, this child is going to cause the rising and falling. This child is going to be the most controversial figure in the history of human, humanity. I, I, I don't think there's a doubt that Jesus is the most controversial figure in the history of humanity. You just can't be neutral towards him. He claimed to be the son of God. So if he's not the son of God, then he was a lunatic, right? Wars will be fought over who he is. He says, this child is God with us. And this child is going to change the face of the planet. What he's come to do is cosmic in nature. And see, what Simeon sees 
is he sees beyond the sentimentality of a little baby. He sees that Jesus' mission was much bigger. It included Calvary. We, we think of the nativity. We think of Bethlehem. But we don't think of Calvary. We kind of separate them, don't we? In fact, uh, Philip Yancey's book, The Jesus I Never Knew, he tells a story. He says uh, there was a Jesuit missionary by the name of Matteo Ricci. And he leaves Italy and he travels all the way to China. So you can you imagine this is in the 1500s. Italy to China. And he knows he can't speak the Mandarin languages and the other languages he encounter. So on his journey, he takes trunks that are filled with religious artwork. And so because of the language barrier, he begins to show the Chinese pictures, pictures from creation, trying to walk everything through uh, from Genesis chapter 3, the sin problem. And then he gets to the point where he wants to talk about Jesus. So you know these type of pictures. He shows them pictures of Mary holding the baby Jesus. And he communicates that God had come to the planet and they, they love this. They love this. And they think, this is great news. They get really excited. The next day, he continues to tell the story and he gets to the point where Jesus is crucified and they hate it. They're like, no, we're, we're, we, don't, we don't like that. And they insist on worshiping Mary and baby Jesus. He goes, no, 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 but you can't have this without this. Like he came to die and they're like, that's horrible. If God dies, what kind of God is he? You can kill God. That's not a good God. And so they, they begin to worship Mary and the baby Jesus. And it takes them years to communicate why Jesus had to die because it makes no sense for them. And Philip Yancey says this. He says this. He says, as I thumb through my stack of Christmas cards, I realize that we in Christian countries do much the same thing. We observe a mellow, domesticated holiday purged of any hint of scandal Above all, we purge from it any reminder of how the story that began in Bethlehem turned out at Calvary. As Simeon is looking at this baby, he says, this child is going to change the face of the planet. And then he looks at Mary specifically and he says, this is going to pierce your soul. It's going to pierce your soul. And I'm sure Mary had no idea what that meant until she's at the hill of Calvary and she's watching her son die on a cross. And all the pain of a mother who has to watch their child die. I wonder if she went back and she said, this is what Simeon was talking about. A part of the Christmas story that Simeon sees and he speaks out loud is it is a story that changed the world, but it, it cost God everything. It cost God everything. I have, I have two questions for you. First would be this. Will you be able to marvel this Christmas? Struck by the words that Joseph and Mary marveled at the things that Simeon said. Christmas has all kinds of traditions, right? 
And traditions are beautiful. But the problem with traditions is you can just do the traditions and forget what's behind them. So um, uh, it, my wife wanted me to do lights. And for some reason, like, I, I love Christmas. But when you want to put lights up outside, I'm like the Grinch. I'm like, oh, man, are you serious? So you know what I did three years ago? I decided I'm going to put up Christmas lights and I'm going to leave them there all year. And we had a massive hailstorm and I had two bulbs left. Everything was destroyed. I'm like, not a good idea in Montana. And so I put up Christmas lights. You've got trees and you've like, got eggnog and all these things. Traditions are beautiful. I love them. But the problem with traditions is I can lose what it's all about, what's behind the traditions. And so I just ask you this. As Mary and Joseph marvel at what Christmas is about, I mean, they, they can't even comprehend it. Do you have room in your life to rethink Christmas, to realize the cosmic level of what is happening? I'll tell you one of the hardest things as a pastor you get to about your fourth Christmas and you don't know what else to say about Christmas. You're like, I don't know what to say. Jesus came. It's good news. You have to re-engage with the story and realize the beauty and realize the significance. So marvel, marvel. Ask God to open your eyes new. What does this mean? For some of us, maybe you're so early in your spiritual journey, you're like, what? I'm still thinking Christmas is about Santa Claus. Hey, that's okay. Marvel that it's more than about Santa Claus. And for some of you who've been walking with him for decades, marvel in the depth and the beauty of what God is doing. Here's my, my second question. Where do you see salvation? Where do you see salvation? Because here's what Simeon says. He takes this tiny little child and he says, my eyes have seen salvation. Here's what religion teaches. Religion teaches you see salvation in deeper, more significant spiritual achievements. You do more, you try harder, make God happy. That's how you're saved. Quit doing that. Start doing this. That's how you find salvation. Some of us say, oh, we see salvation. Our, our hope is in we'll have bigger bank accounts. We'll have more security. It's in having uh, a name that's respected in the community. Simeon says, listen, Salvation is found in the person of Jesus and in him alone. Not through religious achievement. You can't find security and salvation in money, in resources, in people, in relationships. It is found in Jesus. Where do you find salvation? See him. See him this Christmas. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this beautiful story, this, this moment where Simeon speaks on behalf of people that have been waiting for change. And he says, it's arrived. A light for the Gentiles. A hope for the world. A sacrifice who willingly will give himself so that no animals will ever have to die again. So that no human would ever have to feel guilt again. This Jesus came to earth to save us. Lord, would you allow all of us, wherever we're at, 
to marvel at this news. To think again deeply. To ponder. To be amazed at who you are and what you have done. Lord, would we, like Simeon, see your salvation? And it's not in a religious system. It's not in an achievement, but we see salvation in Jesus, the Son of God, alone. You made it possible. You came to heal us. You came to bring hope. I just want to ask you if you're here and you'd say, you know, I've been looking for God. I've tried different things. I've had some starts and some stops. I've had some failures, but ultimately I don't know how to connect with God. Here's how you connect with God through Jesus. He came to die for you. He was resurrected for you. He loves you as you are. He said, Come to me, all of you who are are heavy and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, bring me your sins. Bring me your shame. Bring me all your mistakes. Let me accept you as you are. If you're here today and you realize, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to be made new. I need a Savior. I need a sacrifice. If that's you, just raise your hand boldly, bravely. Wave at me and catch my eye, would you please? Yes, sir, your son. Yes, you're his. Yes, ma'am, you're his daughter. Yes, sir. Yeah, right there, both of you here in the front. You're made new. Right back there. Yeah, you're forgiven. You're made new. You're his. You're his. You're his princess. You're his prince. You're his son. Yeah, yes, sir. You're his. New start for you. Made new. If you're in the, in the balcony, wave at me, would you please? Yes, yes. All right. Both of you, forgiven, made new. Anyone else here? Yeah, all right, beautiful. Here as well. New start for you, a new day over here. Yeah, sorry I missed you. Yes, this man, he sees your hand. He loves you more than you could ever know. Right here, yes, sir. Yes, sir, you're forgiven. He loves you. Amen, beautiful. Hey, would you applaud? There are a whole bunch of people. They're gaining a brand new start today. Love that.